Tonight I'm going to talk about a topic that I talk about every other sermon I preach. And the reason is because I just, as I interact with people, it's one of those things that doesn't seem like it sinks in. Like the average Christian really gets it, understands it, but it is so incredibly important if we're going to live our life with any level of motivation and passion and purpose. And so if you're thinking as I go through this, I've heard that before. I hope you have, and I hope you got it to the point that you recognize what I'm saying tonight. But if you don't hear tonight that I've said it before, it means like it didn't quite register with you before. So I'm hoping that in multiple times going through it, that it will uh, click, make sense. So we're going through Second Peter. Now you remember, last week, I talked about Peter reminding, saying the same thing over and over and over again. And he said, I do that so I'm getting ready to die. I know I'm going to be, and he was martyred, and he knew that was coming. And he said, I want you to be able to recall all I have taught you when I'm gone. I want you to be able to bring it to mind quickly. So I'm going over it and over it and repeating myself over and over again. So I feel almost like I have to read that passage from last week as I do the same thing. But there's certain topics that are just so important uh, that they're worth going over. So Second Peter 1, 16 through 21, these are the last verses in the first chapter. And next week we'll be on chapter 2. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, that is, God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now you remember the story in the Gospels where Jesus took Peter, James, and John and he went up on the mountain, uh, probably Mount Hermon. They call it Hermon there if you're in Israel. And they fell asleep. And then they woke up and... There's Jesus transformed, all radiant. It says that his clothes were brighter than you could have made him washing. And he was having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. I'm not sure how they recognized him. They had never met them before. So maybe Jesus was using their names in the conversation. And then Peter pipes up, hey, let's make a, a couple of temples. One for Jesus and Elijah and Moses and God speaks from heaven. He basically is saying, Peter, would you shut up? And then he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter is recounting that. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That is, he was transformed. He was radiant. He was uh, way beyond what he was as a person. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. We were eyewitnesses of this event. We heard it. We saw it all. When we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have the prophetic word. At that point, they had basically the Old Testament. We have it made more sure, more authentic, more real, to which you do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
But know this first of all, first of all, most important, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, spoke from God. And basically this is a key passage when we talk about the inspiration of the Bible. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God because the Holy Spirit spoke through uh, men as they wrote and as they communicated the truth and the gospel. So in your notes, number one, God is in the process of expanding his family. I use this illustration in my class on Sunday, so if you were there, uh, you can hear it again. Patty and I got married in 1969. We were both 20, and I was planning on being a dairy farmer, the world's greatest dairy farmer, and all good dairy farmers need a lot of kids to do all that work. And uh, so we got married. We were planning on having a lot of kids, and so Patty didn't get pregnant, she didn't get pregnant, she didn't get pregnant for Oh, four years, five years. And so we decided to go to the doctor to find out the problem. And he said to us, you're not going to have kids. Uh, It's not going to happen biologically. It was sad news because we wanted kids. And in fact, at that point, we asked all our friends to pray for us. Would you please pray that God would give us children? We prayed all the time, over and over and over. We wanted to have children. We started adoption proceedings, and then uh, after we'd been married for six years, Patty got pregnant. Somebody said, how that? I don't know how that wasn't supposed to happen. And then not only did she get pregnant, but then she got pregnant again and again and again. Eight kids later, somebody says, didn't you believe in birth control? <laughs> didn't think we needed to. So we were going to take all the kids that God would give us. So where did that come from? I've talked to so many other couples in similar situations where they wanted children and they didn't seem, uh, they weren't coming and they were sad and they prayed and they asked everybody else to pray. Where does that come from? It comes from God. He made us that way. Uh, Genesis one twenty six. God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So way back, you go back and back and back and back and back till nothing existed except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There were no angels, no atoms, no stars. There wasn't any dust. There wasn't any molecules of any kind. Just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they... The Trinity had this desire to have a family. How does God do that? Beings that are the same as he is. How does God pull that one off? And so you have that story in the Bible. John 1, 12 through 13, but as many as receive him, to as many as receive him, that is, receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're born again. To them he gave the right to become children of God, children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God, the will of God. God wanted children, and so he did everything to make that happen. So I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
You became sons of God, not by creation, not by physical birth. You became sons of God, children of God, by faith in Jesus Christ, by being born again spiritually. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household, God's household, God's family, God's children. John 14.2, in my father's house, this is Jesus speaking, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is an amazing verse. That is an amazing statement, that where I am, Jesus speaking, the second person of the Trinity, infinite, almighty God, always existed, always will exist, says, where I am, there you may be also with me. Forever and ever and ever. Here's another passage that's so packed full that you have to read it like a hundred times to really get everything there is to get out of it. John 17, 21, that they, now Jesus is praying in this chapter, John 17, it's called the high priestly prayer, and he's praying for his disciples, but he's also praying for everyone who believes in him through their word. That's me. So he's praying for you, praying for me, back then in John 17, that they may all be one, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. How unified is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? How one are they? How uh, That's a pretty tight group. And he says, I pray that they, us, will be one to the same degree, the same level, as the Father and the Son are one. That's amazing that we have that possibility. That they also may be in us. That they may be in us, part of us, part of our trinity, as it were. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one. That they may be one, just as we are one. That they may be one in the same way, to the same degree, to the same level, as you, Father, and I are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me. You love them even as you have loved me. Did you see that? How much does God love me? To the same level, to the same degree that he loves Jesus. He loves us to the same level as he loves Jesus. That's simply amazing that he loves us that much. That we are on an equal plane with the Father and the Son, uh, the Father and the Son as it were. Love them even as you have loved me. My uh, the, uh, Father, I desire, I desire, Jesus is saying, this is the desire, this is what I want, that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world. And you love the church. And he gave his life for us so that we could be part of the family of God. We could be part of the family of God. Number two, angels are cool, and they're supernatural servants of God, but they are not like him or part of his family. So did you ever read a verse anywhere in the Bible where it says that God loves the angels or that the angels love God or that Jesus loves the angels or that the angels love Jesus? You don't see that, not even hinted. 
They're created being by God to do what he commands them to do. And though they have a level of intelligence and being, they are not um, children of God. The relationship that God wants with us, they can't have. Only we can have that. Here's one of the verses about angels. Revelations 4, 6. Before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures. Full of eyes in front, behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature like, had the face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, full of eyes around and within. Day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. That's their job. That's what they do. But we people created by God in his image and in his likeness, capable of loving, capable of loving, being loved by him, having a relationship with him. Hebrews 2.16, for assuredly he does not give help to angels. He does not give help to angels. He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. He gives help to us. Psalms 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word. Obeying the voice of his word. That's what angels do. They obey the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So they have no choice in that. They do what God commands them. They do what God has wired them to do. Sometimes people will say, well, they must have had choice because some of them rebelled. Now, they didn't rebel. They did what God created them to do. He designed angels, and he also created and designed Satan and his demons to do exactly what they're doing. Number three, we don't comprehend. We don't comprehend. We don't even come close. Comprehending how difficult it is for God to create a being worthy of being in his family like himself. So I hear people say, I'm not worthy. He's making us worthy. And we will be worthy. Otherwise, we don't get to live with him. He could create angels if he wanted companions, but he wants family like himself, whom he can fellowship with, who can love him and he can love that are as close to him as is possible. You think, how hard would that be? It's not an easy thing to do, and it's taken quite a few years to make it happen. Revelation 3, 4, but you have a few people, few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. For they are worthy. Matthew 10, 38, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy, not worthy of me. Psalms 8, 4, what is man that you take thought of him? The son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God. You crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. You have made him a little lower than God initially. And then he is going through recreation or building us even more and more and more our character in this life to make us even more like himself. 
Number four, it's so difficult that it takes much more than a simple creative act by God to make us into his image and likeness. We tend to think God can do anything. God's God, nothing is impossible for him. Uh, It's impossible for God to recreate himself. God is infinite without beginning. Any being that has a beginning is going to be less than God by the very fact that he's not infinite. He created us a little lower than him and then he created a processed life so that we would become more and more and more like him. Jeremiah 18.3 Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something on the wheel but the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does declares the Lord. Behold, like the, the clay in the potter's hand so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Number five, any created being is less than God by the very fact that they're created. I had a dog. I've had numerous dogs. And he got sick. And it was obvious that if I didn't take him to the vet, that he was going to die. And so I took him to the vet, and the vet says, I can fix him, and it will cost you $976. I said, no, thank you. And I took him back home, and I shot him, dug a hole and buried him, and said, you've been a good dog. So Patty got sick, my wife. So if we go to the doctor and he says it's going to cost $976, am I going to shoot Patty? No. Why? Well, there's a pretty big difference between my dog and my wife. So God created us a little lower than God. How much lower? Was the difference like between... My dog now, Roscoe, he's a nice little dog. He just runs up, jumps on my lap, I scratch him, and he he just loves it when I scratch him. And if I quit scratching him, he looks at me like, what are you doing? Keep scratching. So, you know, he's a fun little dog. How much gap, distance is there? If you could measure it between Roscoe and me, how much gap is there between you and God? And if God wants a family... People, beings who love him and he can love that will be on the same page in fellowship together. If in a creative act in a moment of time that the gap is too big, what's he going to do to bridge that gap? To get us to be like himself as much as is possible in this life. Number six, life illustrates spiritual truth. All of life, what we see every day, illustrates things we can't see. All the truth in the Bible Life is a living illustration of that truth as we observe it and use it as a way of understanding what God has written in his word. God, life illustrates spiritual truth. In life, we begin as a baby and we grow in wisdom, stature, character. The same is true spiritually. At least it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Now, if we had a child, 
And when it was three years old, it was still three years old. And when it was 20 years old, it was still in a cradle, still drinking from a bottle, still needing its diapers changed, or maybe that's one when that happens. I don't know. But age happened, but no growth took place. You'd say, that's stunted. Poor kid, poor parents. That's not the way it's supposed to be. See, a lot of believers like that. Most believers. Number seven, when we are born into the world as a baby, we're, we have zero character. <clears throat> when our oldest was a little baby, she cried a lot. I think it was colic or something like that. We discovered that in the car, she would go to sleep. Driving the car to church, whatever, she'd go to sleep. Well, we couldn't drive the car forever. So we then discovered that we could put her in her little thing that you put her in, I don't know what you called it, and put it on top of the dryer and turn the dryer on, then ah, she'd fall asleep. Why couldn't we just tell her, hey, kids, shut up, quit crying? Well, because she was incredibly selfish. And when she didn't feel good, she cried. When she was hungry, she was cry- would cry. When she was dirty, she would cry. When she had a stomachache, she would cry. And she just cried all the time. Now, now she's grown up. She's got kids. Um, and she's highly intelligent, takes after her father. She's a great person with lots of character. So she grew. She grew. She changed. Number eight, character cannot be created in a moment of time. It's developed. It is grown by life. Character cannot be created. It's not creatable, not even by God. It's developed. It's grown by life. Number nine, we are, each of us, are created by God with the almost infinite capacity for character growth. And I might add, angels are not. What they are when God creates them is who they are. That's what they do. We, on the other hand, are created by God in his image and in his likeness with the capacity, the ability to change and to grow in character. Almost an infinite ability to become more and more and more like God in character. So that when we step into heaven, he will enjoy us and we will enjoy him. We will fellowship, we'll communicate, we'll be on the same page as it were. That's amazing that that could happen. Number nine, we're, uh, number ten, God created the world and everything in it to be the best environment for character growth. So I have a greenhouse that hasn't operated for several years, but I used to have this tank. I have, still have the tank in the ground, and I had water in the tank and fish in the tank, tilapia, and I would feed the fish, and the fish would poop. And then I had a pump in the tank, and it would pump the water out into the grow beds that were in the greenhouse, and it was quarter-inch pea gravel, and it would fill that up, and then it'd get to a point where it would uh, overflow. Then the siphon would take over, and it'd siphon all the water out, dump it back into the fish tank. And so the, 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 it was continually pumping into the four grow beds I had, and as it got full, it would empty back out into the fish tank. Well, as the water went into the pea gravel, and as it formed this uh, nutrients or bacteria in there that would break down the fish poop into good food for plants and the water that went into the tank was just right for the fish and had this cycle going on then I put some grow lamps in there and because they were tilapia they liked warm water I had a heater in the water and so it was 65 degrees and the warm water went into the grow beds and the grow light was on and all that fish poop was creating all this nitrogen I mean I grew spinach like 
overnight. It was amazing how fast you could grow every kind of stuff that I could put into that grow bed. Uh, I quit doing it because I had to leave when I went on bicycle trips and fishing trips. And whenever I did, my daughter Sherry would kill all my fish. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, they would usually happen by accident. But she didn't know what to do to fix the accident. So it got to be too expensive. So I just decided not to do it. It was a lot of fun though. But did you know what I did? Let's just pretend I'm God. And those are my fish. I am controlling the environment. The temperature, the food, the water cycling, everything. I controlled it all. Because I wanted to grow fish, I wanted to grow plants, and I could control it with electricity and switches and timers, etc. So God has created the world. We live in this world. It's a greenhouse, as it were. Perfect. Perfect. Everything is perfect for me to grow, to grow, to grow, to grow, you to grow, to grow, to be like Jesus in character through the time that we live and the experiences we have and the events that occur. And God, like the potter with the clay, is always orchestrating those events to create character in us. Number 11, perfect does not mean sinless. It means grown up, mature in character. So God's goal for me is that I would become perfect. In fact, he commands me to become perfect. Encourages me, does everything he can to make me perfect. And sometimes people say, well, I can't become perfect. We're not talking sinless. We're talking grown up, mature. Are you physically? I'm about as grown up physically as I can get. A little past that point. I'm beyond perfect. (laughs) Some of you are way beyond perfect. Perfect. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How many of you do that 100%? How many of you do it 5%? Consider it all joy, all joy. Wow, can't believe I got another trial. Hallelujah. All joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Who caused the trials? God did. Why? Because he wants to make you perfect like himself. And he knows what buttons to push, what things to cause. So that we grow and become like him in character. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras who is one of your number. A bond slave of Jesus Christ. Sends you his greetings. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That you may stand perfect. Perfect. I pray for all of you. I've got your picture. Most of you have a picture in my prayer. Um, app in my iPad. And I scroll down through that. And I look at your picture. And I think Lord. They're a long ways from perfect. Would you work supernaturally? See, that's what Epaphras prayed. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect. That you may become like Christ in character in every way. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Again, that doesn't mean sinless. It means grown up, mature, like Christ. 12. Jesus was born with zero character. 
like everyone else. Imperfect. Jesus was imperfect when he was born. I said that the other day and somebody got all excited. Huh, that can't be true. He was imperfect during his life. He grew and became perfect. Jesus in this life grew in character and became perfect. Hebrews 5, 8, although he, Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience. Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he wasn't perfect. He became perfect as he lived life. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews 2, 9, but we do, not, but we do see him who was made for a little while Lower than the angels, namely Jesus, made for a little while, lower than the angels, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, bringing many sons to glory, that's us, to perfect the author of their salvation, to perfect the author of their salvation. Jesus at one point wasn't perfect. But God perfected him in life as he grew and became perfect and became our Savior when he died on the cross for us. Luke 2, 4, the child Jesus continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Luke two fifty two, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. 13, God made us capable of growing during our life to become perfect. He made us capable of growing in our life to become perfect. That is, grown up in our character to be like Jesus. So just a wild guess. How many people who have trusted Jesus Christ, born again, are perfect when they end their life and enter glory and how many got stunted somewhere along the way and their character growth stopped my observation is that very few grow to become perfect very few grow to become perfect And there are numerous answers for that. But the number one answer is it's hard. Oh, it's so hard to read the Bible every day, to go to church, uh, to memorize Bible verses, to confess my sin to God, to do all those things that people, Christians, need to do in order to grow. It's so hard. It's easier to watch Monday Night Football. And so we just coast. We take the Broadway, the easy way, Rather than the narrow way, the hard way, we don't pursue character with all of our heart. Second Peter 1, 4, For by, this, by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Partakers of the divine nature. You may become like Jesus in character. Ephesians 4, 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, 
to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, to a mature man, grown up, perfect, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 14, in order for us to grow to become perfect, we have to cooperate with God in the process. Most don't. So this is a passion of mine as a pastor, as I've observed and counsel and and work is there's so much immaturity in believers because of our faulty thinking. Now you've heard me say this so many times you probably can say it without me saying it. The average Christian, I would guess 90% of the Christians believe I'm saved by grace, no works required, I'm just going to coast and go into heaven and God's going to zap me, fix me, poop, and I'll be like Jesus. That's a killer for motivation to seek maturity. I don't need to. God will do it. And so we don't. We just take it easy. Because I'm going to heaven. That's all that matters. What matters is that we are like him in character. Because if we're not, when we enter heaven, we will not enjoy him. He will not enjoy us. I mean, we'll love him because I love my grandkids that are two years old, but I don't take them fishing. They're a pain in the butt in a boat. I don't do much anything with them. I let their mother take care of them. But when they get bigger, you know, like 18, 19, 20, then we work on cars together and we go fishing together and we go hunting together. My grandson and I went hunting together. He killed an elk. I killed an elk. Wow, so much fun. He was like me. We enjoyed each other. That's God's goal, to make us like himself so that when we step into heaven, we're like him so that we will enjoy him, he will enjoy us. He wants a family of beings that are like himself. You know, a lot of times people have this stupid stuff talk about hell. How come a God of love would send a person to hell? So it's sort of the price that he pays, creating us with free will. The difference between us and angels They do what God says, but they don't love. They don't have a relationship. He gave us the ability to love, not to, to obey, not to, to run our own life or to submit to him. He gave us that free will. So what's he going to do with the ones who decide not to follow him, not to believe in him, not to join his family? What's he going to do with them? They're eternal. He can't just turn them into dirt. Once they were created by him, they're eternal. They're going to live forever. And so they're going to be in a place that's separate from God because they're not what they need to be in order to be with him. Any place separate from God is going to be hell. And so it's the price he paid so that we could live with him, so that we could love him, But man, we don't want to waste our life. We don't want to waste our life. Philippians 3.12, this is what Paul said. Now that I have already, not that I've already become, obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul says, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6, 1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Hebrews five fourteen. But solid food is for the mature 
who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now the uh, second Peter, we read that, we, I preached on that earlier. Uh, now for this very reason, applying all diligence, all diligence, all diligence, effort in your faith, supply moral excellence. Your faith, that's when you trust Jesus as your personal savior. You're born again. You're a baby in character. Supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge, self-control in your self-control, perseverance in your perseverance, godliness in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Will be abundantly supplied to you. You will step into glory like Jesus in character. And you will enjoy him and he will enjoy you to the max. Fifteen, those who are motivated and want to grow in character because they, understand the rewar- uh, because they understand the rewards of growing and the consequences of not growing will pay the price. Is there a consequence for staying a baby in this life? You're going to make it to heaven. That's free. But there's going to be a huge difference when we get there between those who are like Jesus and those who are babies in what they experience, the joy that they have, the relationship they have with Jesus. 16, in order for us to cooperate with God in the process of becoming like him in character, God needs to communicate directions and guidance to us. So God wants us to know, here we are, there he is, and we're living life, and he's orchestrating life, and he wants us to know what to do, how to act, what to say, what the priorities ought to be so that we grow to the max. He communicates instructions and guidance. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, then God spoke all these words. This is the Ten Commandments, the introduction to the Ten Commandments. He spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. Then he goes on and explains those. He speaks them to Moses, and he also writes them on a stone with his finger. And the nation of Israel have those commands. Genesis eight fifteen. then God spoke. God spoke to Noah. Acts 3.21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So let me read our passage for tonight again. 1 Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are just not fairy tales made up. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him, to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter said, we were there. We saw it. We heard it. 
We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God spoke. It was recorded. We have it in the Bible today. 17, God's primary way of communicating to us now is through his word, the Bible. So I want, I want to grow. I have a long ways to go till I'm perfect. I'm 75. I don't have a lot of time. So I'm going to have to hurry. And uh, I have to work at it. God will do everything necessary in my environment, in my circumstances to make me grow if I respond correctly to it. 18, if we're babies and we eat as much as a bird, we probably won't grow much. Nineteen, faithfully reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on the word is the foundation of our growth into the character of Jesus. Oh, you know, we had a conversation over a cup of coffee. I said, how's your Bible reading going? Well, I'm doing all right. I get, you know, I read a couple of verses a day and, well, not every day, maybe four days. So, couple, how, how come you don't read more? Well, why do you read that much? What's the motivation? What drives you to read the word? Well, I, we're supposed to, aren't we? That doesn't motivate very many people. I'm supposed to. What do I want? I want to become like Jesus. And God knows how to do that. He is God. He's all wise. And he's given us the word, his word, inspired by the Holy Spirit to men so that when we read it, we would know, we would hear, and we would grasp the principles for growing. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow, so that you may grow. Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Psalms 19, 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, Perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. And the drippings of the honeycomb, moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Number 20, listening to good teaching and preaching is a major way that God has ordained that we grow. You know, if he would have asked my opinion, I would have chucked that one. Uh, But it was God, and he decided, and he decided that teaching, preaching his word well would be a major source of growth in the lives of people. Colossians 1.25, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, 
so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect. That's my verse, my passage for me. I was made a minister by God for a purpose, that I might proclaim him, admonishing, teaching with all wisdom, so that may present every man perfect in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, his power which mightily works within me. First Timothy 4, 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, Paul's talking to Timothy as a protege of his. He's training him, mentoring him to be a pastor. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Sorry, ladies. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. That is, we will be like Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It is for this we labor and strive. We labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure, guarantee... Salvation, this is not talking about salvation from the penalty. It's talking about salvation from the power of sin. That is sanctification, growth, and character, both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's a cool promise. 21, do you want to grow to be like Jesus? That's the big question. Do you really want to grow to be like him? That desire, the temperature of it, dictates what you do with your time, what the priorities of your life are. Because if you don't really care, if you think that eh, God's just going to fix you when you get there, then your effort's going to be minimal. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able You're still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? 22, most Christians think that God is going to fix our character flaws when we get to heaven. Character is not created. What we are in character the day we step into heaven is what and who we are for eternity. So if you're a baby when you step into heaven, that's, that's you. I don't like the thought of stepping into heaven as a baby and staying there for eternity. I want to step into heaven like Jesus so I can enjoy him and he can enjoy me. 23, if God is going to fix us, life has no purpose.
24, if God is going to fix us, then there is no motivation to do anything hard. And that's where most believers live. Motivation is not very strong. Passion is not very hot. Because it doesn't really matter in their eyes. 25, the more like Jesus that we are in character, the more we will enjoy him, the more he will enjoy us for all eternity. So way back in the beginning, when nothing existed but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, nothing else, there was this desire to increase, to have a family. And the plan was arrived at, whereby we would be created in his image and in his likeness and with the ability to grow and change, Jesus would come into the world, become like us so that we could become like him. And he would live a sinless life, die for the sins we committed because of that free will we were given, adopted into his family, the spirit of God living in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another to become like Jesus because of our faith, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and our obedience. And so we can grow. And God's will is that I would become perfect in you as well. And he will do everything to make that happen if we cooperate with the process. One of those is that we need to read the word. Read the word, memorize it, meditate on it. And think about where we are and what we need to do to grow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for making us, creating us, bringing us into existence in your image and in your likeness. And we confess to you that we, Lord, often kind of goof off in life, don't pursue growth with the drive, the passion, the diligence that we ought to help us, Lord, to always be like the Apostle Paul, pressing on toward the goal of the high calling of Christ Jesus. We want to be like you. Lord, we're going to be in heaven forever. We want that to be a a joyous time because we grew here. Help us to do that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.